again, injury prevention is this battered term in our, in the mm-hmm. medical field. Uh, I would, I almost like the term injury mitigation because I'm hard pressed to think we can actually prevent anything, but we can develop good habits and practices and activities to offset our chance of having something happen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and this week we've got a special guest, AJ Sabrilski, on the show. AJ is a physical therapist based in Bozeman, Montana, who specializes in working with all types of mountain athletes. We talk a fair bit about common cycling injuries, bike fits, and even get into some specifics on how Dylan can best mitigate a cycling injury that keeps recurring in his life in the future. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. We're already one month into 2024, which means those goal events are creeping ever so much closer. Get on top of your nutrition game this year by taking advantage of some of the best sport-optimized drink formulations out there by heading over to flowformulas.com today. And don't forget to use the discount code MATCHBOX when checking out. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, you can drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title of the Matchbox Podcast. Or you can head over to Ignition Coach Co. and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form. All right, let's get into it. All right, so we got AJ Sabrilski on this week. Uh, AJ, thanks for coming on. It's uh, exciting for us. We, we we haven't had a guest on this show in quite some time, so it's uh, it's fun to have some new perspective coming in, uh, especially with your background. So I wanted to give you a couple minutes here to, at the top of the show, just kind of explain a little bit about you know, what you do, some of the athlete demographic that you work with, and kind of how you found yourself getting into that space. Um, so I think it's pretty unique, you know, you being a physical therapist, you know, a lot of people think of physical therapy as something, you know, someone you go to after you've, you know, had maybe some kind of major surgery or, you know, some major ailment, um, you know, but you're working with a pretty specific demographic of, you know, a lot of athletes, and I think you, you know, categorize as mountain athletes. Um, so I want to give you kind of a little time here at the top to just explain a little bit of how you got into that space. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, yeah, been psyched. But uh, I'm originally from the Midwest, so grew up playing all the football, baseball, wrestling, all the sports back then. And then uh, in college, ran cross-country and track. After that, uh, you know, and through PT school, I moved out to Flagstaff, Arizona. And that's kind of when I really kind of dove into the mountain athlete aspect of it. I was training and racing and running specifically. So kind of that endurance side of it. Um, and then when I retired, I kind of quote unquote from running, dove harder into the biking and the climbing and that and the skiing stuff out there. And through that, you know, just the population of people and groups I was in just kind of lended me as a PT to like, you know, always getting questions about it or even myself usually is what's happening. I'm <laughs> we're coming down with things and then working on myself and just being able to reach out to those communities and be within those communities has been kind of the best way to get in them for me. And so, you know, through Flagstaff, it was pretty specialized into running and then, you know, just kind of, again, grabbing these different populations as I started to become that person or work with them or have friends within them and then kind of just got known as that. And then, oh man, five years ago, I moved to Bozeman, Montana, which again, another kind of popular mountain town. And up here we see, again, even even a, I think a broader spectrum of the mountain athlete, given our nature to the Northern Rockies and a lot more snow. So we have a lot of cross country skiing athletes here in town. There's a professional team based in town, a lot of like big Alpine climbers, you know, the mountain biking scene, the gravel scene, the the running, it's, it's all pretty huge up here. So yeah, throughout most of the day, I, you know, I'm treating people who are chasing one, two or three of those things. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's pretty, it's pretty fun and unique because it's easy to relate with. They're usually motivated and um, it's just a great experience. <clears throat> cool. Yeah. And then so I'm curious, are you, are you working in like, is it a clinic that's specific for athletes then? You know, it's, it, it's kind of funny. I think uh, it's not just like only athletes. In fact, I think some of my favorite patients are like our, my 65 or 70 year old guys that are like, I got to meet my buddies at the chairlift, you know, it's going to powder day tomorrow, you know, kind of thing, or like sure. for the group ride, you know? Um, and that's the unique part I think about, and I think Caitlin maybe would say the same thing in Flagstaff is everybody's chasing something, sure. regardless of your age, it's all pretty relative, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm like 95%, I'm going to call it, you know, mountain athlete kind of person, whether they're 18 or 68, but our, the clinic I work in is an outpatient PT clinic, right? Close to the university. It's been in town for about 20 years and we just, we treat a broad spectrum of sports ortho. So, um, 
yeah, it kind of curtails okay. to that well, but cool. Yeah. So then, and I'm, I'm curious. So, you know, I think we're, you know, each have a few questions we want to pitch at you, but, um, you know, when I think of physical therapists, a lot of times I think of people that come to you, uh, seeking some t- form of recovery or, um, you know, injury, uh, you know, bounce back from some type of injury or surgery or something like that. Uh, do you, do you work primarily with, so you, you mentioned outpatient, is it, is it primarily at this point, um, af, you know, people or athletes that are coming to you with, with some kind of, uh, injury recovery, or do you also do like preventative care? Yeah. Uh, great question. I think, so I've been a PT now for almost 12 years. And I think even back 12 years ago, when I got into it, the theme was like, you mentioned like, oh, I'm injured. I need to go. Or, oh, I had surgery. I need to go to PT. It'll get me back. And the trend in the last 10 years has been kind of that, you know, I call play an offense, right? So Mm. I want to stay ahead of it. You know, how can I prevent it? But then, you know, the full spectrum essentially. Um, And so for me in the population I see, I think it's, it's mostly people with something going on. Um, You know, my knee hurts, my shoulder hurts. I had ACL surgery. My goals are to get back to this thing. I have this race coming up. And then really what's been the fun and unique part of it is, 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 uh, you know, you can kind of develop those relationships and help show that athlete or that person or that patient what you can offer them. And then a lot of them I have now coming back here and there, like, Hey, I'm going to train for this. Can we check something out and make sure I'm on the right path? Or, Hey, what do you think? And honestly, uh, you know, I've done a little coaching and running. I coach rock climbing now and uh, just have a big background of coaching through in the family. So a lot of what I end up doing with some of my patients or athletes is we just, we hash out, you know, like their thoughts, their comments, probably like, again, what do a lot of you guys do with your, your, your athletes when you have your monthly calls is like, Hey, how are you feeling? What are you doing? And, uh, there's some unique ways to blend that into the, the scope of PT. Um, but yeah, I think the trend of it in the recent years and probably going forward is more of that, like first stop for that musculoskeletal kind of complaint or preparation thing. And then from there, it's kind of set them on the path and they're, you know, almost be as more of a resource than just the, place to go only when you're injured cool yeah yeah i like that approach um so you know we're primarily a cycling show i mean we you know i would call an endurance training show but i would i would guess 99 percent of our listeners are somehow cycling you know whether it's directly cycling related or maybe they're a triathlete maybe um you know but probably all of our listeners are endurance cyclists to some extent Mm -hmm. so when I think of cycling injuries or going to, you know, physical therapist, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because cycling is tends to be one of those modalities that other sports, if you have an injury in running or cross country skiing or swimming or some of these other, you know, uh, sports that are a little bit harder on your body. A lot of times the first recommendation when you're getting yeah. back into activity is, Hey, hop on the bike. Cause that's bike, one of the easier yeah. things on your body, but it doesn't mean that cyclists are impervious to injuries by any means. Um, and most of the time I, you know, aside from some type of impact, you know, via crash or something like that, um, it's usually overuse related, right? Um, mm-hmm. that's what we see a lot. Um, I, I do some bike fits here in town for a local nice. bike shop. So I, you know, get a lot of customers who come in with some kind of pains or aches or ailments. Um, and the most common ones are like, you know, knees, um, sometimes with bike fit, there's like hot spots in your feet or, you know, sometimes you get like, you know, sore, numb hands, but a lot of times that's more fit related, but, um, you know, a lot of times what we see is like knees, hips, uh, maybe low back, um, neck from, you know, mm-hmm. kind of being in that position, maybe some shoulders. Um, do you, is that, I mean, is that pretty common? Are you, are you getting cyclists <laughs> that are coming to you with those overuse type injuries? Is that, yeah. is that, is that pretty common? Yeah, I think you, I think you hit it spot on. And, and when I think of like cycling related injuries or really any endurance athlete related injuries, I think there's two ends of it. And so there's the traumatic side of it, like, you know, big crash, broke a collarbone, you know, you're in a sling, sutured up, whatever. And then we need to rehab the secondary effect of those things. And then there's that, you know, overuse or underprepared, however we want to call it, you know, uh, like a postural tissue strain or mechanical load strain issue. Like, you know, your front of the knee, lateral knee pain, that kind of stuff. And I think in in my practice, and there's one other guy in our practice that does bike fits too, and sees a lot of endurance athletes. We're it's, it's probably actually, we probably see a lot of bikers that get injured traumatically skiing that are, you know, like we're working on that stuff. But then in the cycling months, we see a lot of, um, yeah, the kind of overuse type injuries, you know, my back hurts when I'm 
three and a half hours or, you know, my knee hurts, you know, when I'm on a big climb, you know, mountain biking, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I think there's that two ends of the spectrum of, of where that comes from, but um, both are navigated pretty easily with PT stuff and, and through bike fits, like, like you said, you've experienced as well. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I found that, you know, the bike fits very important. Um, you definitely don't want to worsen whatever the, the ailment is because of a bad bike fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the, you know, what I've found in, in my practice anyways, and I'm not a physical therapist, I'm just a bike fitter. Um, the bike fit alone isn't everything, you know, sometimes it's the bike, you know, sometimes an athlete will come to me and their bike fit is actually pretty close to spot on. I might make a couple tweaks, mm-hmm. but it's really some kind of muscular imbalance or, uh, you know, muscular deficiency that's actually lending to some of the issues they're, they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious for you, um, you know, like let's, let's maybe talk about a couple of those injuries and, you know, kind of yeah. more common ones that you see and maybe some preventative or, um, like res- restorative exercises, you know, or things <clears throat> for sure. Yeah. I think you, you hit on that. Like it's, it's one thing to have be in the right position, but it's another one to be able to tolerate it and produce force yep. and, and sustain it. And so a big part of the, you know, our bike fit process is, you know, obviously you got to chat the athlete, what are their goals? And, you know, I'm sure Dylan will agree when you're charging marginal gains, you know, you're going to sacrifice some fit. Right. <laughs> and then there's the person who wants to feel good when they're out just riding and having fun. So it's kind of, balancing that. <clears throat> and so for us, it's a, there's like a musculoskeletal screen, you know, like let's see a move, let's see what kind of ingredients you're working with, right? Like what do we have to play with? Cause what you have off the bike will help us understand kind of the positions or your tolerance to positions or load on the bike. And I think the big ones that we see are, or at least that I think I'm seeing are, are low back is almost always and again, a lot of the times you get, yeah, a lot of the times you get the guy that's like, oh, it's, you know, it's four hours into the hard ride. And my back was sore. And sometimes you're just like, yeah, it might be it, you know, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but again, so <clears throat> that's a lot of times that comes down to, again, I don't know what you find Adam, but a little bit of a seat tilt or four aft to kind of help reposition their lumbar spine. But at the same time, it's kind of helping them understand where that trunk position could be off the bike. And then working, you know, I'm not a big fan of the term like postural control, but how like some, you know, just ability to maintain that position or that trunk on the bike and sustain for the long haul. So within that could become in the lower back side of it, you know, we, we're always in this flex position, whether we're sitting at work or on the bike. And so again, a lot of the anterior part of the hip gets tight and that those deep hip flexors do run up and attach to the front part of your lumbar spine. So when they are tight, they will kind of help they will impact how your lumbar spine sits in that arch or that sway position. So yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes how I look at it with people on the bike is like, what position are you consistently in? Whether it's yes, on the bike or throughout your day, how can we get you to go the opposite end of the spectrum to Mm. give you some more of that other ingredient to like, you know, balance it out. And a lot of it is, you know, again, we're, you're hunched over. So neck pain, we need some, we need to be able to be upright in the thoracic spine or shoulder blades and to be able to kind of hold that position or lower trunk. And so I think some of it is mobility, but then the, then again, a lot of just isolated strength training, but then big compound movements too, as a globalist. I think the reality of it is it's not just one thing that we probably need to address off the bike. It's kind of this unique meld of you know, all the key components. So, um, yeah, low back pain, which again, I'm typically seeing good changes with fore and aft on the, on the seat or a little seat tilt up or down to kind of help reposition that pelvis. And then kind of, again, where the bars are, you know, if they're leaning way far over, or, you know, they're dropped low, they might not have the flexibility in their back to sustain that posture for a super long time. So we might need to bring it up to take some of that excessive like tissue strain off of that over the long haul. Sure. Um, yeah. The knee pain one is, is almost always it. And I don't know what you see, but I bet nine out of 10 riders that come in, I end up raising their seat pretty significantly. And they're like, holy cow. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the deeper the knee is flexed under load, the more kneecap pressure there is and also at slower cadences. So that tends to drive that recurring, like almost kneecap kind of grinding or pressure pain. And that's what, so by taking them out of that deeper knee flexion and just helping them understand like, Hey, you, I think we should pedal faster. You know, we don't have that sus- such sustained pressure in that <clears throat> patellofemoral groove too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say I, I find that pretty common in mountain bikers, especially. Yeah. I don't know what it is about like riding off road that people think their saddle should 
be much lower than if they were riding on the road or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get, a, you know, I get a lot of athletes that'll come in with, with, yeah, you know, a mountain bike and their saddle is clearly like, you know, three, four centimeters too low. And they're like, well, I'm riding off road. I want to be comfortable yeah. getting off, you know, luckily and you jumper just, posts have seemed to help with some of that a little bit. Um, but I'm always like, yeah, right we, we want it to be in the same, you know, position. <laughs> yeah. They get on the bike and you're like, Oh, I know what we're going to really start <laughs> at, but I mean, and two with the knee stuff, I've found some pretty good impact, uh, especially as they're riding clipless, you know, either a little bit of a, a wider stance, which will take their knee through less of a rotation on that, that downstroke um, and, and doesn't put a little bit of that strain there too, especially if they're having lateral knee pain. <clears throat> so, you know, I don't mess around too much with the shims and the orthotics unless I'm really not seeing the changes that I want um, mm-hmm. with other things. But yeah, I think working that connection point to the bike at the riding clipless will also help kind of come up the, come up the leg there as well. Yeah. So I want to touch back on or jump back to something you touched on uh being you know some of the off the bike things that you can do um you're talking about you know you could do some kind of isolated uh strength training but also just you know talking about some of the you know bigger um more standard movements so dylan i mean you're a huge advocate of strength training you've talked about one of your goals this year is to continue your strength training program throughout the season something that you don't typically get the chance to do um and a big reason that you're an advocate for strength training is not just injury prevention. That's what is most common. People think of like, oh, I should go to the gym so I can prevent injury. But you actually talk about the performance benefits, you know, that you can get some increases in sure. power. And, um, you know, so let's talk through like, you know, some of the benefits of like, you know, if, if athletes are going to, you know, insert a strength training into their program, be it for, let's say, injury prevention or injury recovery. Um, how would you, how would you change what that workout looks like for that compared to a performance oriented, uh, workout, if any at all? Are you talking to me or Dylan? Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. AJ. All right. And yeah. Dylan, no, Dylan and Kaylee, you. you guys can step in too. Um, yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I so, mean, I usually don't, I usually don't prescribe workouts based on any sort of, uh, injury prevention. It's more so just performance. So I w I would be interested to hear what AJ has to say about, uh, injury prevention yeah. workouts. So I, I think originally when I came out of PT school, again, injury prevention is this, you know, sometimes it's a very like battered term in our, in the mm-hmm. medical field. Uh, I would, I almost like the term injury mitigation because I'm hard pressed to think we can actually prevent anything, but we can develop good habits and practices and activities to offset our chance of having something happen. And I, we see in a lot of other research, ACL, you know, just across athletic spectrums that the stronger you are, the harder, you know, the, the more load you can tolerate and the, the higher performance and the less injuries you have. And so when I get a patient or an athlete or client in, and let's just assume they, uh, uh, they're coming in with just a pain complaint, like my shoulder hurts when I do this. I, to me, I don't look at it as, is it rehab or is it performance training? I, the goal for for me and and usually the athlete is always the same. The end point is to get you back to high performance, chasing your goals. And I don't try to separate the re- rehab and performance. For me, it's a spectrum, right? It's like, am I in the off season or am I in the performance season? You're like, how do we, where do we, where are you at right now? Given the complaints in your shoulder, what things, small things, maybe isolated things, can we work on to help that? And this, there's a lot of nuance in this, like how severe and how irritable is it? What's the nature of it? Can you still be doing higher load strength training things at the same time that doesn't aggravate your shoulder? So really, I'm trying to find like the where can we jump on the stream to get you back into the high end performance stuff. But I kind of look at it from this is a spectrum from rehab into training. And it's we're always building into the strength training performance side of it. And obviously, there's periodization and phases and depends on the athlete. But um, I again, uh I think an easy one for me to always think about is sometimes people will come in and they it'll hurt to like lift their arm over their head. They'll have five out of 10 shoulder pain in this position and for various reasons. And so I might not load them heavy with overhead presses, but if I get it, I can get them to do a 50 or 60 pound bent over row with a kettlebell and it doesn't bother their shoulder, shoulder at all. And so part of me is going, okay, we can work on the nuance, you know, isolated tissue stress and strain in that range. Just maybe work the small muscles of the rotator cuff, but if we can pre- continue to perform high load training through your shoulder, A, it's going to give you confidence. B, we're going to keep the ability to tolerate high forces through your shoulder. And C, we're just not going to 
lose it by avoiding everything. So mm. again, I'm kind of going like, how can we, how can we uh, slow the leaks of everything that where you were to where you're at and, you know, kind of make, make sure the slope of decline or loss or time away is as shallow as possible. I got you. So you, so you might change sense? some of the exercises just based on what their limitations are. But you're not yeah. necessarily changing the overall regimen as far as uh, load periodization or sometimes um, it dep- on some athletes. I will uh, if I have a good understanding of if well, I think a lot of athletes and you guys maybe can chime in here too. Think they're training with a good periodization and program and strategy, and, and in reality, they're kind of just doing a lot of random stuff, and so. I will try to again give them for something very structured, you know, and and uh, I think again based on what, what we kind of play around with in our world is uh, irritability and severity. So like, mm. how bad does it get, and how long does it stick around? Like again, if I lift my arm over my head and it's eight out of ten pain, but it goes away when I'm right here, like okay, we can tease that a little bit. But if you lift your arm over your head and it's eight out of ten pain, <clears throat> and it doesn't go away for four hours, I'm probably not going to chase that you know, that hard, right. Until we can kind of calm that down. So, but again, a lot of those low level, low irritability pain complaints, you can still stay pretty persistent with your, I mean, you know, strength training or training. And the one thing I try to get, especially these athletes that are pursuing performance goals, because again, the consistency long-term is, or the consistency long-term is the the goal for it's going to help us get to that performance aspect. It's not the one or two workouts that sure. you're going to have to modify. It's the keeping that ball rolling. And so <clears throat> if, if I can get them to understand as we are slowly, you know, modifying their activity, but their activity is going up and their symptoms are just stabilizing and generally calming down, you know, we're creating this adaptive capacity is what I'd like to call it here. And I, I very rarely ever expect one thing to go away, but if we're, changing again their load tolerance activity the participation all that stuff and their symptoms are slowly fading over time that's a positive response i mm. think everybody wants to be like hey i took the week off can i go straight back to my workout and my pain should be 100 percent gone you're like that that's just not how it works and so to have that conversation with them and get them to you know buy into that process and buy into the understanding of like hey we're going to make some fine tunes and tweaks we need to keep this i call it snowball or ball rolling or whatever and so that we lose as little as possible or even continue to improve because there's other facets of things you can work on, right? Like maybe a cyclist with a collarbone injury can work on his trunk strength because he doesn't have to use his arms. You know, he can mm. do some other stuff, right? So um, where where's the other low-hanging fruit to keep, again, the, the trajectory going while minimizing the loss? Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. I know this is a, a loaded question and it might be uh, <laughs> too vague, but... Um... What should our reaction as a coach be when an athlete comes to us and says, hey, this, just say, lateral knee pain showed up? What is the threshold of, um, like, I don't want to say pain, but at what point do we say, okay, this is beyond you needing rest. You actually do need to go see someone. Yeah, that's a good question. And and like everything in our coaching world and our our medical world, it always depends. but I actually work with a team of 12 to, 12 to 15 coaches, climbing coaches, and I'm the kind of PT they all reference to. So a lot of times their athletes will get, hey, my athlete's got shoulder pain. What should I do? And then and I'm always like, oh, great. Well, I, you know. But to triage that, I think the first thing is to quickly look back at what's been the nature and the history of it. Like, is this the first time it's popped up? You know, has it been gradually increasing? Did we add something into their workouts in the last week or two? Usually something like that, that those like, kind of like overuse things aren't necessarily the consequence of the day it came on. It's usually this kind of perpetual buildup from changes in their workouts. So somebody like that, you know, we can go back and we can go, what's been the difference in the last couple of weeks? And we can go, maybe they're doing more threshold work or they're climbing more. And then, so I would try to find that aggravating factor or that key thing that kind of jumps out of like, that's maybe new or different. Um, can we modify that in the upcoming couple days or weeks or whatever and can we track your symptoms right like it it starts to become this little science experiment um, of like what went in why did that happen you know it could be volume intensity lots of things and now let's manipulate one of those given our best guess as to why you're having that complaint again that will depend on the symptom they're having is it dull is it achy does it come on after two hours does it go away quick and again that's a lot of these like reps you just got to have you got to read the person but 
<clears throat> to answer your question a little more specifically or straightforward, I would say I always ask my athletes are if they're concerned about it. First off, like, are you concerned mm. about this? And if they're like, yeah, then I'm like, I think you should get somebody to talk. I think you should go. You should go see somebody. And, and this is tricky for me because I'm usually the person they come see. But <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll tell my coaches. I was like, well, have a conversation with them. How, how worried about it are they? And a lot of times people are like, you know, this kind of happens once in a while. And I still do all my day-to-day stuff. And it goes away. And then it's the, let's keep an eye on it. You know, maybe we have more touch points the next few days to make sure that, again, that, hey, it's coming on an hour into my ride when it used to come on at two hours. And hey, now it's a four out of 10 after the bike ride and I limp around for the afternoon and it doesn't go away the next day. So we're, again, we're kind of watching that severity and irritability level jump up with it. But I think I I always tell a lot of people too, is like the sooner you're into me, the sooner you're out. So if you start to pick (laughs) up on these little things and you're kind of wondering about it, you can get in for one visit and we can have this conversation and talk about, Hey, adjust this, try this, throw this one thing in. It might save you a month of having to regress your training and then a month having to come see me if you waited another uh, month to go out. So I think if it's, if it sounds severe and they're worried about it, probably not a bad idea just to have them go get it looked at. Cause if nothing else, a PT or somebody you trust is going to tell them, don't worry about it. Or they'll give them one or two things to piece in. Um, hmm. Or you can, again, if it's kind of low level, just starting to pick up on it, start to just keep an you know, an eye on how things are changing or evolving. And if they start to kind of go the opposite direction, again, like gets worse, doesn't go away, coming on with less and less time on the bike or activity, those are signs of like, we have to change something. But just start having your own little mini science experiments and being really calculated about it. It's kind of the kind of the foundation of it. Yeah. So in, just to piggyback off of that before we move on to some other questions, how important is it for an athlete in that situation to seek help with, let's say, you know, a physical therapist in this case, uh, who has knowledge or experience in cycling, you know, or dealing with cyclists versus just as, you know, your, your standard, uh, outpatient physical therapist clinic. Yeah. And that's a great question. I would argue that it's, I, I think it's very important. Um, and I think that's one of the things that as I'm, you know, a cycle, uh, I'm just gonna call him again, an athlete PT kind of thing. Mm-hmm that I've found very unique and rewarding and fun for me is I, I understand running training. I understand climbing training. I know what it's like to do five hour rides. I know what it's like to race. Like, and so when athletes come in with these complaints, it's like, a, <laughs> I've probably had it and hmm. managed it myself. So I'm like, I get it. You can empathize with it. And then B you can go, okay, so you're getting it, you know, four hours in what's your, what's your workout look like? What's your week coming up look like? What have you done? And if you understand those those um, stresses and strains and what the demands of it are, you have a better idea as a PT in that specific scope with that athlete of going, what can I help you modify within that in the short term so that you can continue on with that activity and not just go, don't bike for the next two weeks and see what happens, you know? Sure. And that's not to say that, because I think uh, a cyclist with a knee injury could go to a, a outpatient PT who doesn't do bike fits and doesn't specialize in biking or anything and get treatment for their knee and still probably get better. But I think there's this ability to create this cohesion with the person you're working with and really help them, like give them the confidence and just know that they're getting that quality that they probably want and, and have. So I would say sure. it is important, but it, if, if you can't, then it's getting looked out as better than nothing. Sure. Have you um, guys been, dealt with any big injuries? Oh, sorry. Oh, I was actually this is kind of related to what I was going to ask. I was saying we've been we've been talking pretty generally, just kind of talking about a general person. But is it okay if we get maybe a little bit more specific and like mm-hmm. hone in on a specific case and what you would do in that situation? Sure. I I as can long use as it's not I you, can, then I'll have to bill you. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say I was gonna use my I was gonna use myself as an example, but it's not an injury that I'm currently dealing with. Let's go for it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. Um so every once in a while, and it happened pretty bad this summer, leading right up to Leadville, which was unfortunate timing, but I was still able to do Leadville and do fine in Leadville. Mm-hmm. Um I'll get lateral knee pain that I, I think is related to my IT band, but I, I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not positive if it is or not. Um, and usually what happens is it, it 
it doesn't start to hurt until I'm three or four hours into a ride. And then it really starts to hurt to the point that I almost can't even pedal with my right leg. Um, and in the specific case this summer, the thing that changed with my training was that I was in Colorado and almost every single ride I was doing, I was climbing up 20% grades on my mountain bike kind of grinding, which I don't usually do while when I'm here at home in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I, um, it, so for example, yeah. if I, if I came to you and I'm like, I, you know, I've got this crippling, lateral knee pain when I'm four, three or four hours into a ride, but the rest of my life is fine. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, what, where, what direction do you think we'd go from there? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a couple directions. I, I would ask you, do you feel it creep up at hour one and two? Like, are you noticing it come on? Yeah, probably. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then at, if you're, when it hits, gets crippling, let's just say you hop off the bike to stand around, does it go away right away? Or is it just, uh, or is it if I'm, so if I'm just, if I'm just walking around or standing around, I can't really, I can't really feel it, but if I'm pedaling, I can feel it. Yeah. And it's isolated just to the lateral part of your knee. It's not like drifting down into your calf or coming up your thigh or anything like that. Yeah. It's just the lateral part of the knee. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the IT band gets a bad rap. It's the structure that's out there, but there's a lot of things that happen and it's so the reality of it becomes is, yeah, if you, if this is happening at three or four hours into the ride, it's probably not a big, bad, acute thing. It's probably this compressive or friction issue with the tissues at your lateral knee that eventually, you know, like because you've done and rubbed over it so many times, it gets hot, it gets irritated, it gets cranky, and you're going to mm -hmm. persistently do it because we're in this very repetitive, very um, strict range of motion. So I think one of the big things would be, let's just see what you look like on the bike, you know, but ultimately we got to see like, what is... Dylan's hip mobility look like? What does Dylan's, you know, lateral thigh, soft tissue stuff look like? What is the flex? So taking in the components of what you're looking at from basically trunk down. And again, if, if I had to guess, just seeing this a good bit of times with runners and cyclists, um, it, it's probably not anything like, again, bad. I would say, like you mentioned, this happens, you know, once or twice a year, but would you say that it leads up to the point usually leads comes, excuse me, usually is preceded by a spike in your intensity with like hill training or climbing? Uh, it's usually during high volume times of the year. It, it's, it's usually during a time where the training load is significantly higher than it usually is. Yeah. Um, and so I would say another big thing you keep an eye out for is when you are so I, so again, we look at you on the bike, look at you off the table, you know, range of motion, movement, flexibility, all that kind of stuff. I would also be curious to like, when this happens, what have you done in the past to help it? Like, what have you been using to, to manage it? And a lot of times that tells us like, if there's positive strategies that you've found, it gives us more information as to like what it might, what our best route might be, but also what might be going on. Um, I, I guess I'd be curious too, just cause I follow you a little bit in the cycling world, but like bike fit change for Leadville. I know you're always kind of tinkering with it. Was there anything specific mm -hmm. you did? Like, well, I mean, this year I, I ran the drop bar mountain bike and the year before I just run a regular flat bar mountain bike. But as far as saddle position, uh, I would say it was almost exactly the same. Yeah. I will see, <clears throat> um, the lateral knee pain again, classically like that comes on with a low seat height or a seat that's, uh, forward or four because it takes your mm -hmm. knee and bends it more and then that tissue on the outside of it gets compressed around the condyle but i think i think it, i think you kind of nailed it with the intensity and volume I, it, it's probably not if it was a true tissue thing and or like a hip weakness or a movement thing it would probably come on all the time and you're probably mm -hmm. riding three or four hours right in north carolina on a different bike but it doesn't have that issue right mm -hmm. and so i, I yeah think I, I mean I ride, I, I ride that much I ride that yeah. much all the time daily and it's fine, yeah. but yeah. And so I go, okay, like I'm not worried about anything big, bad or scary. Let's keep your tissue mobility going. What are the things we can work on around that area? Hey Dylan, next time you're planning this high intensity, high volume training block, let's try to uh, implement these strategies proactively to see if it mitigates that um, mm -hmm. as you're doing that. Or again, I, you guys are better cycling coaches than I would be, but I would kind of want to see what, you know, where's your rest? Where's your intensity? Can we buy you more time to help offload it? Like, again, 
as you're doing it though, is it like the next day I'm fine. I can go back out for my training ride. It's just that that four hour mark kills me. And if it's perpetuate, like if you're going into that hard training day and you're like, man, I got to the top of the climb and then it was eight out of 10 pain. And I could, like you said, barely pedal. I hopped back in, rode back into town and I could spin to the house and it kind of went away. And the next day I woke up and I was like, no different. An athlete like you, I would probably be like, if you're trying to make money and this is your goal, like you might have to nudge that a little bit and just watch those symptoms, especially with the performance aspect that you're driving. Um, Mm -hmm. The guy at the group ride on Saturday mornings who, you know, works a 48 hour week desk job, I might be like, Hey dude, like, can you start doing half of the group ride and we can work on this stuff and see if we can slowly piece back in longer and longer rides and more and more intensity Mm -hmm. at that time. And so again, going back to the person, right? Like the guy who's again, Dylan, you like, that's a necessity for you to compete in those races. Like it's mm-hmm. so long as you are not working into those symptoms and it's taking away from your training that's upcoming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. again, it's kind of going like, I'm, I need to go here. And if my knee's here, but it's not getting worse and it's not killing me, like that might be an okay balance. But if again, uh, Tim at first union bank down the hill, you know, like rides four hours every Saturday and doesn't ride anything else. He's like, I get off the bike and I can't walk the rest of the day. You're like, Hey Tim, <laughs> we got to change that. <laughs> so I don't know. I hope that helped a little bit, but, uh, again, I'm curious, like you, Dylan, yeah. uh, like, you know, if, if, uh, in, in a case like that for yourself, like would, would that be a situation where you might consider doing like two a days where maybe you do, instead of doing one four um, or five hour ride, you do like a, you know, to two hour rides just because you notice that it, it the onset comes later into that ride like would that help yeah, you get through some I mean, of that training in those those the, those times potentially i i guess that could potentially help if this came up again i the when it when it happened leading into leadville i think i was a week and a half out from leadville so i was very close to oh. my taper anyway so i start mm-hmm. i just started my taper early earlier than i would have uh yeah. and it wasn't a huge deal and then it did start to flare up a little bit during the actual race itself, because obviously the race itself is longer than three or four hours. But it wasn't so bad that I had to stop the race. In fact, I finished the race and it was it was fine. Like I had a very good race. And then yeah. I took a recovery period after that. And I, I it still was a bit flared up in the following weeks, but it slowly faded away within two weeks. And then it was completely gone. Did you change bikes after that? Or uh, I did go back to kind of training. I mean, I did, I did still do some training on that bike because actually the next race that I had was Schwamigan and I was doing Schwamigan on the same bike that I was doing Leadville on, but I probably did a lot more of my training on my road bike and my gravel bike than I was doing right up to Leadville. Yeah. In a guy like yourself with multiple bikes and variable training terrain, that's an easy from a PT standpoint, that'd be something I'd ask. I'd be like, Hey, like Mm -hmm. I understand you have to get this intensity in or this style of workout or this time on the bike, but if it's killing you on the drop bar mountain bike, could you go out and do a four hour ride on the gravel bike? And it'd be fine. Like, and you might be like, yeah, that's great. I'd be like, Hey, if it's that bad, let's swap that for now and see if we can piece back in Mm -hmm. the other stuff coming up. So it's, it's kind of playing those little experiment games to figure out how can we, again, turn the, I always look at it, it's almost like a pot of boiling water. Like, you know, it's starting to boil over is when we start to worry about it. That's when the pain's like getting in the way of life or it's really barking at us. And it's go, how can I dial that knob down just to put it back at that like r- rolling boil? And then we can start to kind of, again, slowly slow it down. So it's not like stop biking for the rest of the, the month. Like, that's not good. It's like, now how do we, how do we just gradually chip away at it to keep you in the same trajectory, but also help? complaints or symptoms yeah so when when something like this pops up you wouldn't necessarily suggest taking time completely off where you're not doing anything but rather um just decreasing volume or intensity to try to mitigate it i my professional opinion and personal opinion is 100 percent yes i i almost i almost never tell people to completely stop um Mm -hmm. again i i would there's actually some decent studies out there when we, again it's are you uh the envelope of function are you familiar with that term kind of like with no. training and adaptations I, I, and that I don't stuff. Think so. <laughs> um so it kind of goes back to let's uh so basically your envelope of function is 
how much capacity and how much activity can you do? It involves both general and specific sport demands. Okay. And so I'm going to use a climbing injury just because it's super easy for me right now. Climbing injury, they pop a pulley in their finger. Okay. Which is super aggravated by small holds. Right. Okay. (laughs) Now, a lot of climbers are going to go, I'm going to take six, eight weeks off and never and not touch the rock that whole time. And what they're going to do is they're going to see their adapter, their envelope of function is high. Here's their climbing level. Here's their finger level. And when they take six weeks off, it goes like this, right? Down, 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 down. And then what happens is their finger feels good <clears throat> six, eight weeks later, and they go straight back outside or into the gym and they try to go back to that level, right? And what happens? Their finger hurts. They hurt something else. Well, they lost all this capacity. It's like, Again, taking a month off after a bike injury and then trying to go back and do the train training workout. But again, climbing injury related and easy for me at this point, but finger hurts. Okay, so we need to modify training. How much does it hurt? What size holes? What grip positions? Cool. Can I teach you how to climb without biasing that grip position? Cool. Okay. Symptoms are two, three. They calm down the next day. You're climbing a little more, a little more, a little more. Okay, so you're not climbing hard, meaning you're not pulling hard. You're not doing a lot of high explosive activities because you're on small holes because your finger hurts. But that doesn't mean that I can't get you doing those kind of demands off the wall. So, you know, heavy weighted pull-ups, you know, maybe some kettlebell snatches. Like we are working the facets within that in the context of that. And so pretty much, again, it's kind of slowing that slope of change by keeping those things in while we're also addressing those the finger specific things. So then there's real isolated finger things. And as we're doing that, we're allowing the finger in this example to get better and better and better while we're keeping their global capacity up and up and up so that when the finger gets there, they're up you know, higher rather than took the six to eight weeks off. Now their shoulders haven't been loaded. They haven't been doing anything. Heck, they picked up running and now they jump back in the gym and they go straight back to where they want to go. And now something else hurts. And so mm. by taking the full time away, we almost predispose ourselves to the potential for re-injury risk at a lower level because of that. And I mean, that's, this is, you know, in, in the major professional sport world, and I'm going to, you know, baseball, football, basketball, those big money sports, you know, so-and-so rolls his ankle, his, he's in the training room the next day and in the weight room doing everything he can while somebody else, while they're working on the ankle, you know, he's shooting free throws even though he can't jump, he's doing, he's doing all the other stuff. They just don't wait for the ankle to get better and then go straight back into all the context of the, of the sport. So it's this very, you take the dip to calm it down and then you bring it back up as slow as you can. And if you can, again, think about it isolated in the context of where the injury is like, okay, we have to work on that tissue specific in isolation, but what are the other facets of this person's sport physiology or physical nature that we can keep up and keep working on so that they don't lose that while they're working on their finger ankle knee thing yeah mm-hmm. that, that makes sense yeah no that makes sense and that that kind of um it's it's not exactly real i mean it's it's sort of related um not from the injury sense but you know, talking about like, you know, what are some other things we can do uh, to like some of the athletes that I coach? And I think Caitlin, you as well, uh, who like during this winter time of mm-hmm. year, it's like hard to get your long base training miles in. You know, you don't have four hours of either daylight or warm enough weather or dry enough roads to go out and do those bigger base rides. You know, so what else can we do to make sure we're still staying on an appropriate trajectory but still meet the demand or, you know, to, to, but also like, you know, cater to what, you know, your current constraints are. So that might be like two a days or multimodal, uh, training where you're you know mixing in some running or some cross country yeah. skiing. Right. So it's like, you know, we, we I'm not going to just tell my athlete, well, it's winter Don't time. Ride. So <laughs> I, I guess, t- you know, tough luck either, you know, go hit the trainer for four hours or we're just not going to get the volume. And it's like, we try and, you know, as coaches, we try and work with what the athletes got in front of yeah. them. And, you know, I've, I've been finding, you know, with some of my athletes, that means, yeah, mixing in, you know, they, they might not like running, but maybe they can find something else that they enjoy. You know, some, one of my athletes likes to swim. So like, you know, even though I wouldn't, swimming wouldn't be my first go-to like, Hey, let's do this for cross training. If they don't like running, but they like swimming and that's a way for them to get an extra hour of training in during the day. Uh, and it's easy to do because you don't have to worry about climate or sunlight or anything like that then yeah of, of course let's make yeah. some some swimming in um you know so it's kind of related to that where it's like what can we do to stay For on sure. the trajectory without you know just come what would what, what you call it the functional envelope the envelope of function envelope of function you know it's like yeah. 
um, you know, without letting that envelope of, you know, function expand, you know, or decrease yeah, too much. Capacity. That's capacity. pretty much what yeah. it is. Is like, yep. what do exactly. they have to play with? Yeah. Yep. Um, no, I think you're spot on. And, and, and again, we, we live in similar climates. And so like we were talking about earlier, there's four to six months where like you almost maybe not could, if unless you had a, you know, a fat bike, couldn't get outside. And so I think you nailed it too. when you said you were saying like each athlete's kind of unique. And so I would say the athlete should probably understand that they can't spend two to four to six hours on a trainer daily. Like they would be outside or doing something like that. And so it's going, Hey, like, what's your tolerance for the trainer or some, or the sport specific stuff, given the nature of, you know, the weather outside, what other things do you like to do? Even though let's just say running might be better for them and their sport, they might be like, I hate it. Like, okay, but I like swimming. So perfect. Go swim. I would also say, I'm sure you guys do. It's like, Hey, what in the last months, years, whatever training, um, that we've done or how, how have you felt? Have you had things pop up? Has your, have your knee, has your knee been sore? Does your back get pretty achy? Cool. Let's, spend some time off the bike working on some mobility and some isolated strength for that. So that when we do start to build up and ramp up our volume again, we can be in that, Hey, your power sucked on a lot of your, uh, you know, your short burst power. So like let's throw some kettlebell workouts in and work on short burst power off the bike this winter, you know, to work on some, some of that. I think like you, it's, it's a little bit of a juggling act. You almost have to, you have to go hunting for some of those things, but as long as that athletes understands that they can't live in, spain or italy and ride year round for multiple hours like that that's just kind of the nature of the beast to some degree and it's going hey like we we're gonna have unless you want to go outside in the snow for <laughs> you know a couple hours and that's fine you can and that might be okay but you're gonna have to kind of wiggle around that so i would say I, I would look at what have they had going on in the past and can we start to address that in this downtime when we have more time to like be off the bike and then also hey what races are we planning this uh this season, right? Like, are they long endurance rides? Are you some short points? Is there a lot of climbing? Like what physical components are we going to want to have at a very heightened level when we jump back on the bike? You know, like, so what areas of strength training can we go at or what areas of that can we go at? So to, to supplement that. Caitlin, you have any more questions for AJ? I don't want to take up too much more of your time here, but, um, I just want to get your perspective on um, how important is, like, if it's accessible and feasible for you, how important is regular body work? What's your definition of body work? Um, like getting deep, deep tissue, like sports massage, or like if I would say dry needling is probably more of like band aid if something pops up, but sure. Um, yeah, it's a, that's that a tough question. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I was very fortunate when I lived in Flagstaff, I lived with a bunch of professional runners, some of my best friends and close, you know, uh, Olympic athletes. I, I saw that side of it and, and, and a lot of, they're doing a lot of that, what I would call 1% stuff. So like the body work, the cupping, the massage, the acupuncture, you know, I use dry needling from time to time, depending upon how patients need it. But I think the really good athletes get really good at doing their own body work they kind of have this routine, they understand their mobility, they understand their ingredients. And when they have this consistent practice, when maybe they're doing their mobility routine, their strength training, or they're feeling, they can fine tune and hone in on like, that's feeling off and, you know, see somebody and that can help them show them how to do that. Um, I think taking care of yourself as a whole is, is the most important part. I call it kind of moving the big rocks. Like, so sleep, diet, stress relief, you know, like those, you drink in, enough water, like those rocks are probably the big ones to move. I think in my world and maybe your guys' world, you've got the person that like wants to go get a massage every week, but also maybe picks up fast food on the way home. And you're like, Hey, like, you know, maybe if we change that, you'll sleep better or feel better, or do something different. I'm never going to tell anybody that it wouldn't. I like going to get massages. I don't like paying for them. And I don't, argue to myself that that's going to make a huge performance impact but i there's a degree of physical and emotional and psychosocial and psychological impact that has that may make the person feel better more confident want to train differently you know so um i think that's why i asked about like what what's the definition of body work because for a lot of people and a lot of athletes and that means a lot of different things and i think it is important and i would argue that riding your bike strength training going for walks is body work. And if we can find ways to be in tune with our own bodies and have a little bit of consistent work on our own, that's good. But then making sure that we do have outlets of the massage therapists, the PTs, the 
Kairos, those people to supplement that and help us along the way when we feel like we need it is good. But I don't think, I mean, I always tell my athletes, like my goal is like, sometimes I walk in, how are you feeling? They're like, good. I'm like, are you ready to fire me? And they're like, yeah, I don't think I need. And then it's always like, Hey, we're not moving the building. You let me know what you need when you need it. You know, and you're sooner you're in here, the sooner you're out of here kind of thing. And so it's kind of that, you know, revolving kind of continuum per se, if in my, in my opinion. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan, how about you? Any, any more uh, outstanding <clears throat> questions before we let AJ hop off here? Um, no, I don't want to take up too much of your time. And I feel like <laughs> half of the time that I took up was my own personal issues. So thanks for addressing this. <laughs> you prefer Venmo or PayPal for that bill? <laughs> yeah, you can, you, can just, you can just send me a Venmo request. That's fine. <laughs> I'll just send it to the Lifetime Grand Prix. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. <laughs> cool. Well, nice. thanks, AJ. I do appreciate you coming on. Um, I know when you, you know, originally reached out, you, want, you, know, you were asking if there is any... Uh, interest in having us, uh, you know, or having, you know, you writing in some blog posts for, for mm-hmm. the website. Um, but this is, this is better, you know, it's a chance yeah. for us to just have face to face conversation and, sure. uh, ask some questions to you. And, um, I think it's really cool. Like the, you know, I don't want to say it's a niche cause it's, it seems niche to me because I don't live in a community that is, I mean, we, we've got quote unquote general athletes, right. but it's not quite that mountain town athlete lifestyle. Like you get in Bozeman or Flagstaff mm-hmm. or Boulder. Um, you know, so it seems kind of niche to me, maybe it's more common, you know, in some of those areas, but it's just cool that you get to work with, you know, the demographic of athletes that we also work with on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys so much. And again, if, if you guys got questions or something else, feel free to shoot in my way or, you know, we can make it more specific in the future, but, uh, I'm here to help and, uh, just keep doing the good work. Sounds great. Yeah. And any listeners out there, if you guys have any questions that, uh, you know, you want us to pitch, pitch by or, you know, run by AJ and we can always, yeah, maybe have you on again if if uh, if there's some more questions for you. Right on. All right, cool. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go. Is riding your bike still fun? Or has it just become a burden that you just kind of slog through to get complete? Come on. You spent all that money on those fancy bikes. You should enjoy riding them, right? We believe working with an ignition coach can help you have fun riding bikes again. Your coach will create a tailor-made training plan that fits in with everything else you have going on in your busy life. Having a coach can help you find that balancing point of goals on the bike versus goals off the bike. And they'll be able to maximize your training so you can get the most out of yourself no matter how busy your life might be. Let's be honest. Your enjoyment of cycling is directly correlated with your fitness level. Ignition Coach Co. will help you gain fitness, go fast, and have fun. Sign up today at ignitioncoachco.com.